Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. Last week took a little break and we're talking about Lecto Divina, and so I just want to follow up for just a couple minutes real quick. If you weren't here... Um, or if you need kind of like a reminder of what this whole thing's about, or if someone asks you, like, what does your church do with these life groups or these, like, Bible studies or these ways of studying or what's this journal all about, you kind of have a, a condensed version of that. So I'm going to kind of just backtrack a little bit and kind of add a couple of things to what I didn't say last week. Um, but essentially just want to encourage us and just and even the response that I heard from many of you that you want to continue to learn and that this is something you want to engage in. Um, I'm really encouraged by that and excited about it Um, and excited about the fact that we as a church want to pursue formation. Like being formed to be like Christ is um, is something we really value. And and so I think it, uh, as I was listening to a podcast this week, I think it's one of those things that shapes us in a way that sometimes we don't realize um, because it's just like a weekly obedience or maybe we've grown up around the church or we've grown up around doing some kind of study during the week or a devotional. Um, but, um, but recognizing that that pursuit and that passion for like deepening our faith really transforms us. So then when we do get hit with life's challenges, we're ready for it. Um, so I would encourage you, like there's probably going to be times where doing Lectio Divina or having a discipline during the week of reading scripture uh, praying and doing those things, it'll get challenging, right? Like, it gets difficult, and it gets sometimes monotonous, and sometimes you're like, it feels dry, like I'm not learning anything, or I'm not gaining from it. Um, but as I, as I was reminding this podcast I was listening to, they were talking about how beautiful, beautiful people don't just happen. And this guy wrote this book, that's the title of it, and he talks about how, like, the character and the beauty that is shaped inside you to be like Christ doesn't just happen. Like, you don't just wake up one day and you're like, oh, I'm so loving and generous and kind and patient with everybody now. It's like, yeah, I wish it happened that way, but something in the way that Jesus wove creation together is that it requires an intentionality that we have a choice. Like, we can wake up every day and go, I'm going to do pure evil today or I'm going to do, like, what Jesus calls me to. Um, and we have that option every single moment of every single day, right? And, um, and so I'm grateful that you desire to be here. Like Matt mentioned, like, could have done anything. Could all just be sleeping right now. But we've chosen to be here um, or log on, whatever it is, and to listen and engage and deepen our faith in a way that begins to transform us to be beautiful people. And not for the sake of, oh, wow, look how awesome you are, but look how amazing Jesus is within you. And so then people see that. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's awesome. I think it's a really good thing. So I think that these journals um, play a role in that. It's not the gospel. It's not scripture. But it is the thing that points us to scripture and keeps us centered around listening to the Holy Spirit. So um, read this quote. It's part of the Lectio Divino journal, just to remind us. It says, the discipline of spiritual reading is one of the most vital in our growth towards wholeness in the image of Christ for the sake of others. I thought that was very concise, very simple. I know that that background can be a little hard to read for some of us, but um, that discipline of just sticking with it, being persistent with it, um, 
it shapes us towards this wholeness. And I love that it says at the very end that it's not just for our sake, it's for the sake of others, right? It's meant to be something that, um, that God uses to transform the world. God uses your lives to transform the world, to be a, um, a reflection of his love. And so it's, it's really exciting. So I encourage you to continue to dig into it. And if you have an opportunity today, um, if you've already thought about it this week, you're like, I'm going to meet with so-and-so, please put that on your Connect card. And if on the other end, if you're like, I don't have anybody to meet with and I want to meet with somebody, um, we can kind of play matchmaker and figure that out. Um, we can find some people and say, hey, like, I know there's some people in your area or some people that want to meet online or some people that, um, that just would love to meet. Uh, write that on your Connect card as well, and then we'll just we'll connect you with somebody somehow. We'll figure that out and trust the Holy Spirit that that will work. Um, because we have the ability to do that. So it's good. So we are in Mark chapter 12, and we're in the very end of Mark chapter 12. And uh, the verses will be on the screen. We're going we're gonna to cruise through a few chunks, few thoughts that we see Mark compiled here. Um, so I'm going to read them just so that we kind of get an idea of where we're going with this. And then we're going to take them kind of chunk at a time and begin to see how they connect. And we've seen that throughout all these passages, how like one passage leads into the next and one thought leads into the next. And Mark didn't like just haphazardly throw a bunch of stories together. And then we read it and go, oh yeah, that's cool. Like that's a cool truth of Jesus. But they build on each other and they connect and these stories all um, relate. So let's, um, let's read. <clears throat> so we start out in uh, verse 35. And uh, to kind of, I guess, catch us up to speed to where we're at, um, Jesus is being challenged by religious leaders. He's constantly being challenged. They're always trying to stump him. They're always trying to catch him off guard, catch him to say something that doesn't make sense, that they can discredit him and be like, yeah, see, this is why this guy's a chump and you shouldn't listen to him. He brilliantly, every single time, comes back with an answer that begins to shape the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, all of that time, and even the onlookers to go, whoa, that's amazing. This is brilliant. Like what Jesus is saying is it connects not only to like truth in that moment, but also throughout history and their understanding of um, what we would call the Old Testament, but it would be Torah to them. So um, Here it goes. It goes a little further. So verse 35, and he says, uh, I'm going to read from the screen in case it's a different translation. So while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. So they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Because essentially um, what the religious leaders are trying to do is say, like, he's he's just son of David. He's he's awesome. He's part of that lineage, but he's not that amazing. So it goes on. It says, "As as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for, the sh- for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. And then it goes on. Jesus sat down 
opposite the place where the offerings were put and watch the crowd putting money into the temple treasury. So this is like the, the story that kind of builds on the previous, right? So he sits down, and here's how it continues on. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Okay, so let's begin to unpack this a little bit. What we're going to do is kind of look at these three stories a little bit, and then um, I want to talk about leadership. And I'm titling this Something Stinks. So we'll, we'll get to that story about something stinking. And, so, and then we'll close with some ideas of like how to begin to uh, move forward as leaders because I do believe that we all have leadership capacity at some point in our lives and in some area of our lives constantly. So Son of David, what's up with that whole thing where basically Jesus is defending the fact that he is not just Son of David, not just part of the lineage, but he is God in flesh and blood. And this is kind of a, it's kind of a a tricky passage because it doesn't really make sense to us. But when you look back and you look at what Jesus is quoting, he's quoting Psalm 110.1 and essentially clarifies that David even acknowledged that he is not, like he's not that amazing essentially, right? But in the lineage of like what God was doing, yes, he's amazing. He played a role in that, um, in pointing and being part of that lineage towards Jesus, but he is not God, right? And what Jesus is doing is pointing that, that like, yes, I came from that lineage, but I am now, like, I'm bigger than all of that, essentially. And so the response and the understanding of the scribes that were listening there, they're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. We understand that because you're quoting from Scripture and you're you have a deeper understanding of what's happening. And so um, what you see here is the leadership at that time constantly pushing and challenging Jesus because what Jesus was doing is he's confronting their leadership. He was confronting what they were doing and how they were hijacking leadership, which we see here in a second, because he starts talking about like how they want the best seats, right? Um, and they were using it for selfish gain. So they were using that leadership that they had had um, only for themselves rather than to use it to point people to God. And what Jesus was doing was he was kind of destroying all of that. He was coming in and disrupting what was happening. And so for them to kind of just give up and like accept what Jesus was saying would mean that they would lose all of their privilege. It would, they would lose all of their power. They would lose all of the, the authority that they had. And now it's all become kind of an even playing field, which you see what Jesus is constantly doing, right? There's a humility to what Jesus does. Um, so Jesus shakes things up by doing all of that. And then it goes on. And you begin to see in verse 38 through 40 that those leaders that he's talking about no longer cared for the widows, right? Those leaders that he's talking about like completely disregarded the things that they were supposed to be doing and they made it about themselves, right? It talks about lengthy prayers. So they wanted to stand up front and look super holy like they had some kind of connection to God and so they just kept rambling on of their prayers. 
It says that they looked for seats of priority, and it, I, we did a sermon on that a while back, so I'm not even going to like build on that one. But like, when we are self-centered, we look for the best seats possible rather than looking to put other people into better seats, right? Um, when we are other-centered, we begin to go, you know what, like, let me give up my great seat so that you can sit down and enjoy a great seat. Um, they were not about that. They were continually uh, looking for the better thing. They're trying to climb the ladder, basically. And, um, and, they, and what it says there is that Jesus points out that they basically steal from widows, that they are... They're doing the exact opposite of what they should have been doing, right? When you think about God's heart, um, and you can go back and read Isaiah 58, and it talks about the heart of God, and it talks about taking care of those that are the least of these, basically. And the message that Jesus continually brings is like love for widows, orphan, outcast, right? Those that are um, trampled by society, like that's Jesus' message. He's continually coming in to bring healing, to bring that. And what he points out is that these leaders are completely neglecting their role, um, their role as the church to take care and love people. And, um, and so let me just kind of continue to set this up a little bit more because then it goes on and it talks about the widow's offering. Um, but what happens here is... Um, Sorry, in Mark 4, 34, it says, The truth is that the poor widow gave more to the collection, or sorry, in 12, 34, uh, more to the collection than others had put in. All the others gave what, they, what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. Jesus contrasts the scribes who are trying to have the best seats trying to collect as much as they can to gain selfishly um, to a widow who is poor, who is giving all of her life to this, is extremely generous and contrasting the two so the, the audience here can see and the disciples can see which one is better, which one is living out the way that you would desire people to live, which one would you want? Right? Like when we think about leadership, when we think about the way that leaders should be living, would you rather have a generous, humble, um, loving leader, or would you rather have somebody who's taking from widows? Right? It seems very obvious, very basic, but Jesus makes this very clear distinctive like, this is not okay. Like, leadership shouldn't look like this. Leaders shouldn't be stealing from widows. Like, it seems insane. But we read over it and we go, yeah, yeah, those leaders were messed up. But we don't really acknowledge it that maybe we are in one of those places. That maybe we are in, either in the place of causing others to suffer, taking from others so that we might gain, or we might be in the place where we're having things taken from us, right? Maybe you're in that place of the widow where you're like, wow, like I've never experienced generosity and yet you still see a heart and a posture in this widow of extreme generosity, right? Jesus points out that she gave out of her poverty, like she had nothing and she gave. And then you look at these, it said, basically, he didn't say religious leaders, he just says the rich people giving in out of their 
plenty, basically. It doesn't even affect them. Like, they just give, and it's like no big deal because it doesn't even bother them in any way. Um, it doesn't cost them in any way. There's a big difference between the two, right? And so what I think we see here, and when I look at like kind of the big picture of what Jesus invites his disciples into and what he invites us into, is leadership, right? What kind of person are you? Like, what are the, where are your values? What are the priorities that you have um, when it comes to life? Um, these leaders, uh, Chris and our, our sermon prep was talking about this and how like there's a term called imprinting and we all are imprinted by something or someone right and there's a definition I threw it up there uh, to make something have a strong or permanent influence on something or some or someone or something so the religious leaders at that time had been imprinted by leaders prior to them that they should have seats of priority that they should be the ones taken care of, that they should have the priority in everything that exists. The better seats, the longest prayers, the most holy, right? The most set apart, the most unique. Um, and yet they miss the mark in the fact that that's not what God invites them into. God invites them into generosity. The imprinting that took place on their lives also came from the culture around them, right? Right? So if you think about Rome and what their leadership looked like, was it kind, generous, <laughs> caring for the least of these? No, Rome was out to like destroy, and you think about Caesar, and you think about uh, Nero, right? Like You think about these people that did whatever it took at whatever cost to keep their position in life. I think Nero didn't even kill his brother because he somehow came in to like interfere with his leadership. So like, the imprinting of leadership at that time was leaders needed to be strong, big, powerful, lots of resources, and look the most holy. And what Jesus does is he flips it on his head, and he comes in and he says, no, no, no. With you, you will be generous. You'll be loving. You'll be kind. You'll be patient. You'll be completely different than what this culture does. And so the imprinting that we're invited into is the imprinting of Jesus, that Jesus begins to shape us to be more like him, that we now look like Jesus um, as we follow him and are imprinted by him. And that's what scripture begins to do. It begins to shape us. And so this widow inspires us to have this generous heart, but it also, I think, puts us in check to ask and reflect, what am I doing to allow either a widow to sit there and be in that position of poverty or what am I doing to begin to help that person, right? What am I doing to help the widow or to cause the widow to be in the place that she is in? We all have opportunities to take action constantly. Um, to either be on one side of this with the leaders that neglect the widows, or we have an opportunity to go, we're not going to be part of that kind of leadership. We're going to be part of the kind of leaders that say, when we see a widow that is living off of her last two cents and still living generously, we should be taking care of her. Um, we choose the right thing. We choose the loving thing. Um, and that's why I think this is about leadership. I believe that we all have leadership in our daily life, that as we see opportunities to love, to take care of people, um, 
we can either ignore it or we can step into those opportunities. Um, so that's why these three stories connect. That's why Jesus being son of God is so important, recognizing that he has power, but yet the reason I fell in love with Jesus when I was in high school was because Jesus modeled humility, because Jesus modeled what it looks like to love the least of these, because Jesus wasn't a religion or a king or a, a God that came in and said, I'm going to make you great at the cost of everyone else. It's a God that we serve that says, I'm going to transform you, but I'm going to transform you in a somewhat of a difficult way, but life will be very good. It'll be very meaningful because you'll start to use your life to serve others and you'll start to, start to see meaning and value in really what it looks like. And so the king we serve, the leadership that he models is really beautiful. It's really powerful. Um, and it's something I think we, we quickly overlook as one of the convincing things about following Jesus is that it's truly the kind of leadership we all desire in this world, right? Like when we look at leaders around our globe right now and we look at people that, um, that lead in areas of influence and how they lead well, I believe the ones that follow Jesus' lead do it really good and do it in a way that inspires us to be more like them and to do um, the generous thing that he invites us to. So... Um, I do believe that leadership is powerful and that it's, it's so key. And, and I want to expand a little bit on that. I want to spend a couple minutes just kind of talking about how each and every one of us has a sphere of influence. I mentioned that. And we have leadership um, woven into us. And it's unique for all of us. Um, and I'm going to talk about those different leadership traits that exist and what that looks like. Um, but first, I want to talk about... Um, why that's important. Because I believe that as a church, if we don't recognize that we all have leadership, that we all have influence, we begin to defer to other people to do the work of ministry. And uh, I heard, um, who was it? Um, Alan Hirsch, which is what I'm going to talk about a little bit. He talked about how he's, a, um, he's written a few books about leadership and what it looks like within the church and which uh, which ways begin to allow churches to thrive when it comes to leadership. And he talks about how 85% of people that attend churches believe that the work of ministry and sharing the gospel and reaching out and serving the community should be done by someone else. Think about that. So if 85% of us, I know that's not our church, that would never be our church, but if and I'm sure maybe you can have an imagination begin to think of like what the global church looks like and what some other churches might look like, that 85% of people will attend church and just think that somebody else needs to do the work of the ministry. That they're just there to come and be fed and learn and grow and learn in the Bible, and that's it. And someone else does ministry. And when I think about that stat, whether it's super accurate or not, I, we can all we all know that we've been at that place. Like, I know that even in my faith, there was a point where I was like, yeah, the pastor does this stuff, and I got nothing to do with that, you know? Um, and, and I think, so I bring that up because I think we, we devalue the individuals that make up the body of Christ. We devalue one another. And, and I'm not saying that, like, that we all hate each other in here. I'm saying that, like, 
We all play a role that is beautiful, that helps make the body of Christ, that if you want to go into uh, Paul's letters where he talks about that, um, the body of Christ requires every single body part to function uh, in a very cohesive way. We all know that, that we need all of our body to work right for us to function in a healthy way, right? And the church is no different. And what Alan Hirsch talks about is that we each play that role. And when we don't, we lack certain parts of that body that begins to thrive or that can thrive. And, um, and the best way I can describe this is um, I recently, I, oh no, sorry, it was last year, I think it was. Um, I don't know if Katie even knows the story, but I was offshore, 100 miles offshore, um, fishing with some friends. And we were on a boat that can handle going that far. Um, and it's a boat that I've been on a lot. And, um, but 100 miles offshore, anything can happen. And you're, it's like being in the middle of the desert. You know, It's like there is no help. Like It's going to be there in the drop of that. It's like four hours for any boat to come and, and help you. And, um, and so we were sitting out there fishing. And all of a sudden, one of the guys on the boat goes, something stinks. I'm like, what do you mean something stinks? Yeah, we're out here like fishing. Like, I'm sure there's fish that stink, you know? And he's like, no, something stinks right now. Like, I don't know what's going on. And he's like, he was a firefighter. And so he knew like different smells of like what is bad. And he's like, it smells like electrical fire. And I'm like, I don't know how that could happen. You know, like I don't see any smoke or anything. And he's like, no, it smells like electrical fire. Something stinks bad. Like we need to look into this. And so we start opening up the hatches. And sure enough, there is an electrical fire. And the wires in the back were on fire, like sparking out and completely frying and melting and there's smoke coming out of it and we're like, quick, you know, like the quick reaction, like fire extinguisher, the whole thing. And um, had he not noticed that smell, it could have gotten really bad because we got to the point where we put the fire out and we were able to cut all the wires and reconnect them and eliminate the thing that was shorting out this whole thing. So, yes, yeah, Katie's like, I never heard this story. Um, so we reattached, and everything worked out great. But had he not used his gift, because that was a true gift, for him to know the smell of an electrical fire versus any other fire, we would have just been like, throttle forward, let's keep going, don't worry about it, and the whole thing could have melted down, and we probably would have, it could have been a really long time to get back. And so I share that story because it's a really extreme example of I think what we need as a church to thrive. Like the ship needs to keep going, right? Like we want our boat to float. We don't want our boat just to float, but we want it to have an engine that works. We want that boat to have a throttle, you know, like we want it to have gas in the tank. Uh, We want it to work. And when we as individuals don't play our part, we don't sniff out the thing that stinks within the church, I believe the church suffers. I believe that as a community, as an organism, as a a culture, um, you can't move forward, and you end up stuck. And and that extreme reminder for me is kind of why we need one another. Like, we require leaders of all different types. And so I want to go through the list really quick of different leaders, because each one of you has a leadership Ability, And then I'm going to close with a quick video. So um, the five leadership roles that I would encourage you to dig into a little more, and I, I threw it in the notes. So if you want to dig into it during the week, you can, you can dig in. Um, there's even a test you can take that you can kind of learn where you land in these five. But we all have leadership roles to some degree in these five areas. But each one of you 
has one of these to an extreme, okay? Um, one or two that you really value, that you really dig into. So it's called APES, and you can see why. So it's the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. And this comes from Ephesians 4. Paul talks about it. Uh, Jesus lived out these five uh, traits perfectly. He did every single one of these. He was apostolic and that he understood what it meant to like challenge the church. And that's what apostles did. Um, and prophets as well. So prophets spoke out. If you talk about Old Testament, prophets spoke out on behalf of God and began to um, call people to a way that they should be living. Um, evangelists, obviously reaching out, sharing the gospel. Um, shepherds and teachers. And I want to give you a quick definition for each one so maybe you kind of get a grasp. And you're like, oh yeah, I, I connect with that. So the apostles extend the gospel. Um, they're all about inv- innovation. They're always thinking about the future. They're bridging barriers. They're establishing the church in new contexts and developing leaders. Um, the shepherding and teaching functions are needed to ensure people are cared for rather than simply used. Because if all you have is apostles in your church and you don't have the teachers and the shepherds, those are the people who are constantly just pushing forward and they burn people out. They're going forward, forward, and forward, and people are like, I can't keep going forward. We need to like somehow inward grow a little bit, and we need to learn and study. Um, the prophet, because I'm going to always show you kind of the, the two sides, why we need each other, and it says prophets are the ears. They listen to God. They're particularly attuned to God and his truth for today. They bring correction and challenge the dominant assumptions we inherit from the culture. They question the status quo. But here's the deal. Without the other types of leaders in place, prophets can become belligerent activists or paradoxically disengage from the imperfection of reality and become otherworldly. These are the people that are like, the church isn't doing it all right, so I'm leaving the church and I'm out. I'm going to do it on my own, right? Um, that exists. You've probably experienced these kind of people and these kind of, um, uh, yeah, this, this, these kind of, uh, I think, personality traits that exist. So, and there's evangelists. Evangelists are constantly recruiting. They're constantly reaching out. Um, these infectious communicators uh, of the gospel message recruit others to the cause. They call for a personal response to God's redemption in Christ and also draw believers to engage in wider mission They're growing the church. This can come at the cost of inward growth because they're constantly looking out and they're like, everybody come on in. We're going to like come and like journey with Jesus, but then they don't actually do the journeying part. They're just like, come on in, come on in, you know? Um, So we need that balance. We need to go out as much as we need to grow inward as well and in our relationship with God. And then there's the shepherd nourishing the community. Shepherds nurture and protect. Caregivers of the community, they focus on protection and spiritual maturity of God's flock, cultivating and loving and, and spiritual mature network of, of relationships, making and developing disciples. Shepherds can value stability to the detriment of mission, right? That they can be like, let's grow and learn and connect and be relationally strong, but forget about the mission and moving forward. And then there's teachers. They understand, they explain, they're communicators of God's truth and wisdom. They help others remain biblically grounded to better discern God's will. They're guiding others towards wisdom, helping the community remain faithful to God's, to Christ's word. And without balance, they can get dogmatic or uber-intellectual. 
and start to be very intellectual about what's going on and miss the practical part of ministry. So I want to give you those because now you begin to see how we all need to work together and we all need to, I think, recognize our leadership, where we are gifted, and how we also need to be challenged to maybe appreciate someone else's gift, right? Maybe you've been around an evangelist and you're like, that is draining. They're always trying to go out and talk to everybody and reach out to everybody. And you're like, I just want to like sit and have a Bible study, you know, like, and then the evangelist is like, you just always want to sit and have a Bible study. You never want to go out and talk to people and bring people in and share the gospel, right? And so there's this like, this balance that has to happen. And I think that requires humility. So for us to really value each other's gifts is we have to value the, the entirety of what happens here. That when we have all five of these things firing on all cylinders, the boat keeps moving, the ship keeps going, we're able to continue on. Um, what Jesus does is he goes, something stinks. Something stinks about these leaders right now. Something stinks about what was happening. We got to change it or the ship's going down. And, and I think that's beautiful. It's, a, it's an amazing call out to really where we need to be. And so um, I want to close just with this idea that we need to be stretched in our leadership that there may be areas that we are not super passionate or naturally gifted in, and we need to value that in one another and in other people in the church, as well as recognize where you are gifted and talented and how you can begin to use that. Maybe you're a teacher, and you just need to dig in and just go, you know what, I love teaching and I love helping people, and so I want to take some time to like do that for people throughout the week, and I have time to do that or whatever it is. Um, Finding that gift and really harnessing it and living into it, but then also valuing the other parts of it, even in our own personal lives, um, that there has to be a balance. And so uh, I want to show you guys a quick video, and we're going to close with this, uh, because I believe that it, it's a reminder back to, I think, the core of what we are called to as disciples. Um, and I think what these leaders forgot about is that they are loved and it doesn't require um, any achievement on their part. It doesn't require seats of prestige that it talked about. Um, it didn't require them to just check the box of religious giving or whatever it was. Um, that I think they forgot the relationship with God and how God views them. In this video, it's by Jamie Turkowski. He's the guy who started to write Love in Our Arms it's a ministry to uh, people that I think uh, maybe are at the end of their rope, um, suicidal, whatever it is. And what he begins to describe is the core reminder of who we are called to be. And then I'm going to pray. So check this out. If you feel too much, there's still a place for you here. If you feel too much, don't go. If this world is too painful, stop and rest. It's okay to stop and rest. If you need a break, it's okay to say you need a break. This life, it's not a contest, not a race, not a performance, not a thing that you win. It's okay to slow down. You are here for more than grades, more than a job, more than a promotion, more than keeping up, more than getting by. This life is not about status or opinion 
or appearance. You don't have to fake it. You do not have to fake it. Other people feel this way too. If your heart is broken, it's okay to say your heart is broken. If you feel stuck, it's okay to say you feel stuck. If you can't let go, it's okay to say you can't let go. You are not alone in these places. Other people feel how you feel. You are more than just your pain. You are more than wounds, more than drugs, more than death and silence. There is still some time to be surprised. There is still some time to ask for help. There is still some time to start again. There is still some time for love to find you. It's not too late. You're not alone. It's okay. Whatever you need and however long it takes, it's okay. It's okay. If you feel too much, there's still a place for you here. If you feel too much, don't go. There is still some time. To achieve or do anything other than the things that God's invited them to to be passionate about um, are the most effective leaders. And we are the most effective Christ followers when we recognize that we don't have to have great achievements. We don't have to like fall into what culture thinks we need to do. We need to recognize that we are loved and that we are invited to love others. These leaders forgot that. When they're not loving a widow, they've forgotten that. And I hope that we have eyes to see that kind of um, heart that God has for others. And so let me pray. Lord, uh, help us to see parts of our lives where we might um, be falling into a a false kind of leadership, a leadership that isn't effective, that isn't life-giving. Help us to be leaders, because we are all called to some form of leadership. Um, Help us to be leaders in our families, uh, in our relationships, in our jobs, in um, the various places that you call us to. and remind us that we operate out of love, um, that you love us deeply. There's nothing that we can do to earn that um, or to, to become more loved by you, Lord. Um, and so uh, help us to, I think, be humble in our approach and in our heart and in our view of others. And so uh, help us to work out of our gifts and our skills and our abilities as we go into this week. And uh, yeah, we work out of your strength. And we love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. We'll rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, that he's guiding and he's protecting us. Let's share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen.